So we're at a really cool event hosted by this company called Carrot. They provide these metal credit cards to creators and influencers. They invited us to this event, and there are tons of super cool people here, yeah. and we decided we'd try something different for this episode. We're going to have a bunch of people swing by, yeah. just random really cool influencers or business people like Nate O'Brien, Ask Sebi, a bunch of people, and they're all just going to have little segments on here talking about some really fascinating tidbits of information. Yeah. Now, the fun part about this is that we're filming this at the very end, and I have to say these 20 minutes that we have with, with each person is, in They're my opinion, unique. like it's, but it's so good because yeah. we have to be so like fast paced. Sometimes I think this is more interesting than like an hour long episode. So you guys are really going to enjoy it as soon yeah. as you subscribe. Yeah, subscribe. You just got to hit the Check subscribe out the Patreon button. too. Oh, yeah, we got the Patreon. Yeah, check out many things, yeah. guys. Okay, they're all going to be linked down below. We're going to have tons of really cool guests on. Thank you so much, Carrot, for throwing this event and inviting yeah. us. And uh, let's get on with the episode. So coming on right now, we have Mink. She is a massive Twitch streamer, and she also participated in Creator Clash. She dominated the event, and uh, she's incredibly interesting. So we're going to have her on right now. There we go. Just bite it. That's, that's perfect. That tastes good? Tastes like a aluminum. Hello? No, it's the other way. It's it's Fuck. where it says Audio Technica. Hello. Yeah, that was good. Hello. That's it. Yeah. Hello. Wow. That's good. Crazy. Okay. Well, Welcome talk right back there. to the Ice Coffee Hour. My name is Minx, and I'm here with my two guests. Wow. Cool. We are the guests. This is fantastic. Welcome to my podcast. And we're not streaming today. I'm happy to have you here. So you're a streamer. I am. How did you get started in that? I liked games. I liked video games. I uh, used to play Crash Bandicoot as a kid on the PS2. Bit of Hercules sometimes. And then as a little side hobby, I started Twitch. And for seven years was a 10 viewer Andy with absolutely nothing. Playing video games, Dead by Daylight, Call of Duty, everything. And then I went on a dating show called Lover Host and it changed everything. So you did it for how long? Uh, I started, maybe I should even pull out my old YouTube videos. I started as a kid. I always wanted to be in content creation, but, you know, especially when you're from Ireland, you don't expect to succeed. It's, mm -hmm. it's one in a million chance for anyone regardless, but a loud Irish girl from Ireland making it here in LA made it though. Look at me, mom. I'm on a podcast right now. Sorry. Got sidetracked. With Graham I, and Jack, nonetheless. <laughs> I have ADHD. Could you repeat the question? What was the question? Oh, how did you get started? And you said you were streaming for seven to ten people for years, and then you were on a dating show. Yeah, Your so life blew up. I just I would play games like Dead by Daylight, Call of Duty on my own with my friends when I was younger. And then a guy called Austin, Austin Show, he found a clip of me spilling ketchup on my shirt, and instead of changing it, I just turned the shirt backwards. And was like, well, it's clean now. Mm -hmm. And he thought that was funny. And he invited me to his show, Lover Host, which is, you go on, um, it's not Discord, it's not Skype. There's another one. There's one of those things. StreamYard? No, no. It's like. Zoom? I think it was before. Yeah, Zoom. Zoom. Okay. But there was one before that. Let's just say it's Zoom. Discord. Whereby? Yeah. Whereby? Okay. That was it. Sure. And then you just go on there and he'd have a guy and have 20 women fight over that guy. And then it was always a big streamer. So, like, I guess I was just loud and crude, and that blew me up. What did you say? Like, what clip went viral of that? You must have said something. I would just call the other... Because I was... I'm not mean to women, but they were my enemy at the time because I was fighting for the guy's love. And I guess 
the C word here isn't really <laughs> popular, so I would continuously call them that if they would get ahead of me and I'd get mad and throw my chair around and then a lot of people were like oh she's a bit insane isn't she let's uh, just click on her and watch her more and then I went from 10 viewer to 200 viewer Andy and then from that I had more opportunities people reached out to me and had me on their shows too and it just kept growing but if you're asking about uh, my biggest clip it would be the dreaded white claw clip what is the dreaded white claw clip? I was, um, I'm not going to call it cosplaying. I'll say dressing up because I look not like Hinata from Naruto. But I was dressed up as her and I had a little shuriken and I was just flipping it around. It was plastic, by the way. So I didn't expect it to actually hit the white claw. I stabbed the white claw, it sprayed me in the eye. I got blinded. I screamed and ran off. And that got like 2.4 million views just from that clip. And this was when I was still smaller like mm-hmm. 200 viewers and then it just kept going from there so you found that by like kind of acting out or doing these obscene things that you got viewers and you're able to catapult that then to twitch yep and then it just kept going and i kept being more psycho and then i moved to la six months ago and i was like it's gonna be temporary but the opportunity's here but you're all like no offense to americans yeah. love you guys love you guys you're a bit not funny. Americans aren't funny. Yeah. Are we trying to be funny, though? I don't think we're trying to be funny. You just don't get yeah. Irish humor. I said, cunt on a fucking train going to Disneyland. And no woman looked at me as if I was, like, the devil. <laughs> and I was like, ooh, okay. We I think that's that. just yeah. a little bit more normalized. Like, over in, like, yeah. that place, Europe. Uh, to be I fair, it's the Irish. Place. <laughs> <laughs> that place. Geography-wise, Europe-ish, you know? That's common. No, so. the Irish are a bit, a it's bit off crude. their head. Yeah. Yeah, it's not really a word that you say here. Like in the U.S., it's a bit of a stigmatized word. It's, it's not that. Is it just like really, really yeah. abrasive or something? I like? think so. Okay. It, it, it's shocking for people to hear. Yeah. Well, so like, hear that. They don't know how to react. It kind of like it, stuns it, them. All it's a bit. lady's part, but we can say like you dick, and no one blinks an eye at that. It is kind of interesting how we just yeah. pick and choose what words are like the worst ones and what it aren't. It really is. Yeah. Let's get back to yeah. to your successor. Okay, would you say that? The person that you acted on camera, was that strategic in order to get these viral moments to help catapult your career to success? Or is that like actually kind of an accurate reflection of who you are on a daily basis? And it just so happens that like people really like that. Uh, I would say a mix of both because at the time I was working a full-time job as a receptionist. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I'd like to just have fun, but this sounds sad. I didn't have many friends in Ireland. I was an introvert back then. Surprise, look at me now on a podcast. Well, I was an introvert, so I would try to show my fun, crazy side to the internet and do that. So, yeah, it's definitely a part of me. And it's ever since I moved to LA, I realized it's a bigger part of me than I thought because mm-hmm. I've not been as introverted since. But no, it's probably just mental Ill- illness, to be honest. Like, I, I, I don't think. Uh, just or the Irish. It's either the <laughs> Irish in me or the mental illness in me. Could be both, though. Yeah, that's <laughs> Could be point. both. <laughs> Probably both. On yeah. the good side, I succeeded a tiny bit. Not yet. No, you've succeeded yeah. a lot. Yeah. A-, a lot, actually. Can you talk about finances at all? Are you comfortable talking about that? Oh, I thought you were going to ask me, like, advice on finance. I was like, man, I'm really dumb. I'm I, dumb. Well, we can talk about that, too. Uh, yeah, 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 we could go over that. But I'm curious, like, from your perspective in terms of, like, your income and how that's shifted. So it <laughs> went from 
you know, I was working 50 hours a week as a receptionist for a more company, by the way, would give out headstones. Tough job, actually, because you'd come in and they'd just be sobbing to you because they're buying a headstone for someone that's dying or dead. And I'd be like... That'll be $400 plus tax. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> no, no. Check, no. It starts yeah. at 2600 2600 yeah, plot of land. That was for yeah. the limestone one. And then if wow. you wanted to go to granite and there's different colors, and I'd just be like, it's a lot of money for you, I know. And I know you just lost someone, but my boss will kill me if I don't sell you the best headstone out here. My boss was a bit of a, like, he was like, no, just show them. And I'm like, they're here crying about their lost ones. That job was... And it, it was funny Yikes. because we, it wasn't funny. We also sold counter stops because it was like a countertops. It was a granite company. Yeah. So when someone would come in, I wouldn't know if they were going to come in and be sobbing for a headstone or a new family excited to get their first countertop in their new house. So I'd see someone and I'd be like, hold the face like this, hold it. But no, that job was paying me 1500 to 2000 a month depending on my hours. Um, the hours started at 40. And then I realized when I started, which happened, and I remember getting my first paycheck, and it was like, well, not my first one, but when I started growing, mm. and it was 3.5K, and I was like, I can just act the idiot online instead of sitting at this headstone company for 40 hours a week and make more money and then my dad was the most supportive one in that my mom was always because I, I went to college to be a special needs assistant for three years um, so the headstone company was like just a stepping stone and then I was like I don't want to do prison officer or special needs assisting when I can just like be myself and be a weirdo and somehow get paid more somehow get paid more. That was insane. But first, we got to thank our sponsor, Storyblocks. Guys, we've been using Storyblocks for about two years now, and I mean it when I say it has helped the workflow of this business tremendously. Mm. Storyblocks is a subscription service that gives you instant access to millions of high-quality, royalty-free HD and 4K footage, templates, images, sound effects, you name it. I cannot tell you the countless hours I've literally just wasted looking for the perfect stock footage or sound effects for my edit. Well, with Storyblocks, that is no longer an issue. I've been able to reinvest this time I've saved from Storyblocks back into my creative visions and to make content that I'm truly proud of. And whether you're a part of a large media company or just trying to jumpstart your next creative passion project, Storyblocks is the perfect solution. With their flexible and scalable subscription plans, you could start creating content with the tools you need without having to worry about a budget. Plus, their unlimited all-access plan lets you download unlimited assets from all three of their libraries. Guys, seriously, we've been loving and using Storyblocks for about two years now, and we are so so excited that they reached out to sponsor us. Creative burnout is a real thing and creative inspiration does not have to be so taxing. Learn more about how you can take your editing to the next level when you visit storyblocks.com slash ICH. Again, that's storyblocks.com slash ICH or you could just use the link down below in the description. Thank you so much, Storyblocks, and back, back to, to the, the podcast. podcast. And what about today? How has that evolved? Can you share how much? Yeah, so I, I, right now, like my most recent paycheck on Twitch was 8.6k but the issue with that is because the Brits took half of the Irish land I get taxed 60% on everything so even no matter even though I'm making a lot of money at the end because Ireland doesn't have a treaty with America like UK does the 
the top half, no- Northern Ireland does. So I'll pay Twitch's tax, I'll pay Irish tax, and I'll pay LA tax. And it all bundles up where it totals to 60%. Oh my gosh. So I do make good money, but more than half of it gets taken. Do you find that demotivating, though? Like, why am I doing all this work when I get to keep 40%? It is when the tax time comes around and I see my friends paying way less. But it's also like I still have this insane opportunity. Like, even with the amount of tax I pay, it's better than what I was doing in Ireland. But it's just a bit annoying. Now, what about other opportunities, sponsorships, endorsements? Are you doing those? Yeah. So my agent, Daniel, he he has brought up – I used to work – no, I won't say names because it will make them look bad. But I used to work with three different sponsor companies – and they'd bring stuff to me in a Discord channel. And my sponsor, when I got sponsored, it'd be around two to 3K per sponsor. And then when I was at my peak and blowing up, I remember my biggest one was and I was like, oh my God, thank you, Prime Video. <laughs> Shout out to you, baby. But then I got canceled and it dropped down to I would be lucky if I got 1k for a sponsor. No, what do you mean you got canceled? Um I'm out, I'm out of the loop. Can are you able to this? talk about this? Yeah, no, I can talk about it. So in Ireland it's different there. So I said I didn't realize that the L word was a slur for lesbian. I didn't realize that was a slur at the time and I cuz I I have very gay friends in Ireland that would yeah. say it normally and then I said it on stream and this was when I was blowing up with the Minecraft community and sure. they can be a bit finicky with and they c- almost kind of like kept saying it in chat they're like you can't say that and I was drunk at the time and I'm like I can't say the uh, answer okay. I'm like but it's for it's for a lesbian and they were like no but that's a slur towards lesbians and I'm like I'm more gay than I am straight. And I'm like, I didn't even realize this. I didn't mean it like that. But they kept taking that clip of context and they would post all over TikTok saying that I was just kind of degrading. And then that was the start of it. And then they dug up tweets from 2015 when I was a teen where I was like, I prefer Asians over white boys. And it, they said I was fetish. Fe- Fetish, I can't say the word. Fetish, fe- fetish, fetishizing. <laughs> yeah, you can't say it. All no, I can say fetish, it. Fetishizing. fetishizing. And then that just blew up more on TikTok, oh, and they okay. kept going. And then I- even if you look at my TikTok comments now, like if I post something, it'll be like, "Oh, isn't this the homophobic?" And I'm like, "Bro, I'm gay. I was a closeted fucking gay for years because Ireland's fucking still moving on." But it's that just brought my sponsors down because anytime my name would be mentioned it was oh my a bad thing about it was this recent um no this was like last year but it still comes to this day and then that's why i was saying back to the sponsors um the three companies i worked with just kind of stopped bringing me stuff to wait for it to blow over and then luckily my current agent when i came out here uh miko hooked me up with him and he was like, "It's that's not why your price went down. It's because you were working with three different people and they were giving out different prices. Oh, yeah. And But the whole yeah. time I thought it was because I was like, oh, 
I'm a bad person. But he was like, no, it's because three different... And then he brought my price, and now my recent sponsor was pay for a Pac-Man thing, which when I thought that was the end of me is a really good thing to get back up there. I, I'm sure we've all done or said something at some point. I good mean, people gosh. can do yeah. silly things all the yeah. time. And something that's like silly can just be misconstrued as like, yeah. oh, that's your intention. You're trying to hurt these people or whatever. But I don't know. I mean, especially you just, you said that you're, les- you're a lesbian. I am like, you're like mostly, le- I'm pansexual, prefer women. Mm-hmm. But if uh, I meet a guy that has the same, the it's personality for me. Okay. But I prefer women. Mm-hmm. It's a weird thing. I'm yeah. I'm scared to even say my sexuality because I never wanted to label myself. I said I don't want to label. And then at the time they were like, "No, if you like everybody, you're pan, you're pan." And I'm like, "Okay, I'm pansexual <laughs> then." And then one day I was like, "I think I prefer women." And they're like, "That means you're not pan because you're open to everyone." And I'm like, "But at the time you were you were the one that put the label on. I was just like, I like who I like." Yeah. It's a, it's a weird thing. So the internet can be scary at times, especially because, you know, you're figuring out stuff on your own. You're changing and then someone will come or similar back to, I don't know if you guys played Xbox. Hmm. I played PS3. Uh, back in those days, the shit that was said on oh. the mic, it just, it just, it's, I don't like when they dig up stuff from the past and they don't let people change. Yeah. It's, it's kind of... Same with Jenna Marbles, the stuff like mm-hmm. that, where she apologized, but they won't let it go. But then they missed her when she was gone. Mm-hmm. It's like yeah. the internet. But I will say the one thing I really admire about you is how competitive you are and just how resilient you are. No matter what happens, you keep you keep coming back. And you, you've, your fight, I think, was a great example of that at the boxing ring. I was shocked between was shocked. you and Yodeling Haley. That was, in my opinion, the most like gut wrenching fight for me to watch as well. I think that was that takes the entire thing for the entire boxing match was watching you two. Yeah, hundred percent. I was like, I could because I couldn't do that. Like straight up, if you put me in that situation, I'd I'd be out so fast. I was so impressed by her because so uh, I don't remember we would have like group training things and people would meet up. Haley was always very hidden. To the point my coach would be like, she's not taking it serious. And then at the end, he was like, no, I met her coach, and she's taking this very serious. She gave up vaping. She And I was like, I'm scared. I'm scared. But I did not expect her to, because I had contacts in. And in the first round, she knocks out one of my contacts. And I remember being half blind, and I'm like, oh, my God. I thought when I was going to fight a TikToker, it was going to be over in one throw. No. She was... She was strong. Everyone was saying that she wasn't, like, hitting me, but she was. It was, like, I was dazed. Like, I, neither of us really remember the fight. And she just kept going and kept going. And then the second, no, the third round, she knocked out my other contact. So it was just a blurry vision. And at that time, I thought she was going to KO me. Because between, like, not being able to see and every time she'd come back, there's one clip of her where she's bleeding down the nose and she's, like, and I was like, if I'd seen that, I would, I, I, people didn't see it with my coach. I was saying to him that I think I need to tap out. I couldn't breathe. Yeah, I was losing I? it. I was like, I can't breathe. And he's like, you got this, you got it. And I'm like, oh my God, my dad's watching. And every time I went back up and then even when I, the fourth round, when I won, you can actually see me in the video, not realizing I won. I was so dazed. I was so out of it that when I heard that bell, I thought it was about to go to the next round. 
and I sat down, they gave me water, and my coach is like, you did it. And I was like, I won, I won. And everyone in the clip was like, she walked off so confident. Mm -mm. I was. I thought you did. I was, no, I was just like, keep going, keep going. And then I went up uh, back to the room and hurled everywhere in the toilet. Really? Yeah, when they brought me back. Like even on the winning scene, I was like trying to be funny, but I was like, oh my God, just let me back in the room. I'm gonna How'd you feel the next day? Amazing. Really? No, I did feel amazing. At the time I was like, when I felt that pain from the hits and like, they're like, oh my God, what happened? I was like, never again. And then, no, it wasn't even the next day. It was after I hurled and I stood up and I was like, that was the best experience of my life. What did you like about it? I just like boxing because it's a place where you can be feral. You can be feral and they're not going to, but it's a safe way that the, the refs will stop it when they're worried, but you don't have to worry about holding back and you don't have to worry about your opponent. Like if you get in a bar fight, bouncer's going to take you away straight away. But in the ring, you can just boo, boo. And it's the energy. It's the fitness. I've gained a lot of weight since that fight. I haven't worked out in two months, but I'll get back into it soon. But at that time, it was just, it's boxing is. Yeah. Are you going to continue doing the boxing training? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It was, I don't know why, because I like look back and I'm like, well, I almost lost. But it was still one of the the most thrilling things I've ever experienced in my life. Do you think you would do it again? Absolutely. So if Ian comes back to you, says Creator Clash 2, you in? You'd say yes? Absolutely. Really? Absolutely. Is there anybody (laughs) that you would want to fight in particular? So I don't know how much I can say, but they already have been looking at someone for me and she terrifies me really she terrifies me and it was funny because we went to spotify closed down disney recently and i walked into her and i like was like hey she's so nice she's the sweetest girl ever but she scares me with the like Haley. i didn't know much about her i was like tiktoker easy but the fact that i almost lost that and i'm already scared of this woman i'm like maybe I uh, uh, maybe we should just because uh, a lot of people wanted to get into creator clash Yeah, they wanted to go into it after you know how big it was last time and Ian and Anissa has to choose from so many content creators so no one's confirmed except for two matches they confirmed mine straight away and I was, wow. like, I was like I don't mind giving up my place I'm yeah, like I'm, but I'm, you I'm, put up I'm, a good fight I was like I'm good I'm, and they were like no 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 we're excited for this and I'm like you have a huge advantage so I was reading on reddit and everyone who was like a you know semi pro or you know amateur fighter was saying the first fight like that is the most difficult because you go in and you're not prepared but doing it again you know it's like okay I know I'm going to be out of breath I know what it's going to feel like with all the uh, you know the adrenaline going on I know what the crowd's going so you have an advantage that nobody else would have because like you've been through it before and you also see just how hard you would need to train yeah yeah, I didn't. It's true what they say. Until you're in the ring, you don't understand. Yeah. Because like, you train so much before your fight. Yeah. I train so much, but then when you get in it, even sparring's not the same. No. You get a hit, and you're like, "Huh, you're punching me." Yeah. You're punching me, and I think my issue was just I didn't train cardio enough. I couldn't keep my hands up. Yeah. Do you have anything else you want to say? We have uh, three minute, two minutes. I got a quick question. Yeah. If yes. we could ask it before. Um, I've noticed people that do Twitch have uniquely dedicated like fans. And 
I want to know your take on it. Why do YouTubers, that could be a YouTube channel with like 5 million subscribers, but their Instagram could have like 20,000 followers and then their engagement could be like, you know, 40 likes or 100 likes a post. But for some reason, it is unique within the Twitch community where those creators, they can have, you know, like a million followers on, on Instagram, but their, their Twitch has, you know, I don't know, two, three million followers. How are the conversions so good for fans on Twitch? I think it's the fact that it's real time. It's talking. Like a YouTube video, I personally prefer YouTube because you can sit there, but when you're with a creator, you're seeing them do it live. There's no editing. There's no cutting. Like, because I, I watched a lot of Twitch people before I blew up, and it just was, it was more engaging. I can, like, type to them. They'll see my message. I'll see their reaction live. Whether with YouTube, you see it after, and they might like the comment, but it's, uh, for me, it was like, oh, my God, I'm not to be parasocial. I'm seeing this person, like, react to this thing, and when Twitch blows that up, and then you can just be like, hey, follow my answer right now, and then, you know, you can put that in a YouTube video. But then when chat responds and they're like, no thanks, and it's like, do it, do it. Like, it's an easier way to engage. It's, and Twitch clips, I mean, you know, Twitch has been going insane lately, but now I think YouTube might be making the comeback because they're- YouTube gaming, right? They're taking a lot of the biggest creators. Hmm. Yeah, I've seen that. A lot. Like, Tim the Tatman, Myth, Lily Pichu, YouTube, if they get their emotes in check, like their BTTV, their chat, I think they could outgrow Twitch at this yeah. point. I agree. They could they could conquer Twitch and maybe Spotify for podcasts. Hmm. So that's where I think they have to head, though, because there's yeah. so much competition. They're not going to compete as well with TikTok. So what's left? Podcasts and uh, Twitch. TikTok is yeah. insane. TikTok I know. Is, it's too addicting. It is, but it's also like the amount of opportunities it's given. Like, you know, a little NAS blew mm-hmm. off from that. The yeah. amount of music creators that grow from... TikTok. And TikTok creators too, though, because you're not talking with them one-on-one. It doesn't feel like you're having a relationship with them. But the 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 relationship between followers on TikTok and the TikTok creator is also like Twitch. It's like it's it's so much more than just like a YouTube and a, a subscriber. And then it's easier to go viral because it's a shorter thing and it goes yeah. up. And the, that's why I love like if anyone wants to get into music, that I think TikTok right now is the best place to grow. You put one song on there, it's catchy. People will reuse it. More people will hear it. And then it's... So I, even though TikTok is kind of cringe, I think it's one of the best platforms for smaller creators to grow. Like Twitch, like I said, I streamed seven years. YouTube, I tried since I was a kid. TikTok, one viral thing can set you off mm-hmm. into famousness. Yeah, famousness. Cool. Is that a word? Yeah, uh, it may as well be. Well, thank you so thank much. You. I really appreciate great. it. We got to go up uh, to the uh, the carrot oh, thing right. right now. So. Thank you, guys, and we'll be right back. That was great. Thanks for having me. So now we're going to be having on Marina, Silicon Valley girl, who, by the way, was one of the first people that we've ever had on the podcast back when Jack was uh, still in college. Yep. Sounds weird. Yep. Anyway, we're going to have her on because lately she has been going completely viral on TikTok. She has a huge YouTube channel. And we're going to be getting some updates on her in terms of her business and uh, what else, Jack? And her baby. She had two babies. She did. Thank you so much for coming back on because you were one of our first guests ever on the Ice Coffee Hour. Oh, was the first? One of them. One of them. I think it was number 10. Maybe. The episode number 10, so you would have been guest like number five or something like that. Oh, okay. That's pretty pretty cool. Those are the really early days, though, before we did like any crazy thumbnails or anything like that. Like you were there. 2020, yeah. Yeah. Kitchen, it was a dining room table. That's crazy. So a lot has changed. You've been deciding whether to... um, 
leave college. Yeah, that was oh what, that gosh, was the time. Oh, that was that time. Did we talk about that that episode? Yeah, that's, yeah. That yeah. seems like ages ago. Yeah, that seems. I like hardly remember college. <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> wow, yeah. it's nuts. We were still doing this before he dropped out. Of I remember college. that used to be the talk. It used to be yeah. college. <laughs> then it went on to like girlfriend stuff, and now it's like outsourcing. That is so funny. <laughs> so, All right. Uh, yeah. So. Do you regret not finishing college? Uh, yeah, man. I wish. I wish I quit all this work. I, went I was actually advocating for finishing. Were you really? Yeah, because I'm pro-education. Let's talk about that a little bit more. Why are you pro-education? First of all, you run an education business, right? Yeah. Can you explain to us what exactly this education business is? So it initially started as a study abroad booking platform. So you could book a trip to Spain to learn Spanish or a trip to the U.S. to learn English. But during COVID, we lost 90% of our revenue. So we had to pivot and we pivoted to, a, to an online learning platform. So we basically work with creators in educational space and they create product for us and we distribute it. Mm-hmm. How many languages do you speak? A Russian, English, German, and a little Italian. Fluently? Well, I studied mathematics in German, uh, but it was in 2010 when I studied in Germany. So I think I won't be able to use it like on a daily basis now. But English and Russian, Russian is my native and English. Yeah. Yeah. Why did you decide to learn so many languages? Well, when you don't speak English, English is the number one language you have to learn because mm-hmm. it opens all the doors. I wouldn't be here if I didn't learn English. Um, German, I was like, my dream was always to study abroad and going to the US or UK, you can't really afford it as a Russian family. And Germany had free education and I was like, let's learn German. Hmm. And I really fell in love with the country and like with the products that Germany creates for the world. Um, so this is why I learned German and Italian. I just had Italian friends and they were sisters and they would always chat to each other in Italian and I was fascinated by the way it sounded. So I decided to learn a little bit of that you speak any other languages grandma i took four years of spanish and one year of latin how good are you at both terrible really yeah really oh. bad i don't remember a single thing really oh. nothing hola como estas si. oh wow <laughs> four years yeah four years holy cow i, I don't can... use it like yeah, I regret yeah. because i definitely i think spanish would be such a fantastic language to learn mm-hmm. but would you do videos in Spanish, though? No. no. Uh, I, I think it's good to, to understand and be able to speak. Mm. But I don't know. When I was in high school, I had a very, just, I was very narrow, focused. And it was either I'm playing the drums or I'm working. And I'm, if it wasn't either of those two, I had no interest in it. So I didn't pay attention. Got it. Yeah. I was the kid. You know what I used to do? There, there was some sort of like he, she, they, them, like mm. those sort of uh, differentiations. And I'd write them, I think, on my, on my hand. Before going in class, mm-hmm. so I could, if I've taken a test, you'd cheat. Uh, yeah, you would cheat. That was the only way I think I passed. Did you ever Spanish. get in trouble for cheating? Um, I think once I got caught with having notes, and the teacher took the notes and told me that if I got caught again, <laughs> that, that uh, you know he would flunk me from that. And so I'm guessing I, you continued cheating. I just didn't get caught. Oh, okay, <laughs> he said if I got caught again. But didn't say that uh, I couldn't continue. I don't. I don't, I, I I don't remember what I, I have did, a feeling that you would be like an exemplary student straight, for some reason. Straight A's. You student. were straight A's. Yeah. Where'd you go to college? St. Petersburg. St. Petersburg. And then from there. And Dresden University in Germany for like a semester. But then I got accepted to Johns Hopkins with oh a full ride scholarship for their master's program and University of Florida MBA full ride scholarship. But then we could also, uh, we accepted investment from 500 startups and uh, we decided that I would focus on the business instead of doing my MBA. How has uh, your income shifted over these last two years from going in person to online? 
How have you evolved as well, a, we, both a creator we and lost, a business? In, in gross revenues, we lost a lot, yeah. but then we're making more on selling online products because if you're selling an offline product, you have partners as well. Um, but we're still getting to pre-pandemic revenues. Really? Yeah. Why do you think that is? Because I would feel like for an online business that there would be a lot of demand from people who have the time, let's just say, during the pandemic to learn another language. Yeah, I think it's the average check. The average check mm. before was like two to $3,000. Wow. And we have thousands of people traveling. We were like number one for a lot of schools all over the world. And now, like we have the same audience, but the average check is like $150. So it's different. Got it. Now, I have to say, though, the one thing you have been doing really well is the what I spend or a day in the life, a mom in San mm. Francisco, let's just say. Those videos are so much fun to watch. And I keep the getting short them videos? Yeah, yeah, I keep getting them recommended. Like, you go to the grocery store and, like, putting items in your basket and comparing the cost. It's crazy how they're blowing up. Like, I'm even not ready for that right now. When you're posting a video, I'm used to, like, 100K views. Yeah. But if you get, like, 2 million views overnight and, like, all the different people who watch your videos because I'm targeting, you know, young entrepreneurs or people who would want to start a business. And now, like, millions of people are watching them. So it's, it's new. It's interesting. Okay. How did you come up with that idea? I started researching the algorithm on TikTok, and somebody told me that you actually need to post yourself. So I had my assistant in Ukraine who was helping me with posting. So we saw most of the audience coming from Asia and, like, Eastern Europe. And then I thought, what if I post with my American SIM card? What would change? And so because it was me creating content, I was like, let's create something, you know, that I wanted to create. So I created uh, a video about having a baby in California and how much it cost. And I just posted it with my SIM card. And it blew up, like, in a day. Yeah. Or maybe, like, in a week, I think it was 7 million views. And I got featured in Mashable BuzzFeed. And I was like, oh, my God. So it was the SIM card and this new format that I thought I would do. So, Yeah crazy wow how are you continuing that momentum so you see like when we're talking about those short videos the price is the shock factor and i think this is why people are watching till the very end and then they hear the price like i went to this dentist and they gave me an estimate to like fix my teeth and was like two thousand dollars and people are like what's going on here like i could continue doing that and like going to ear one and like showing how much oh, it costs would be fantastic so yeah. okay i so did a yeah I did I'm, a I'm a little ignorant i guess on this there's these haven't showed up in my feed the exact so you oh, go yeah. to these we places. see you recommended jack <laughs> no, you go to these places you're pulling a bunch of different items off the shelf and at the end you show the total cost of it all yeah and it's just blowing up and people freak well, out as, well, as, as a tiktok it was a short, short. on, short. on short tiktok video. um well, I guess short on TikTok. It's like 60 seconds on TikTok. Yeah. The the big one, though, I remember seeing the, the cost of having a baby. How much was that? Two two 2300 something like that, after insurance. Uh, of going to the hospital and, like, giving birth? Yeah, and, like, giving birth. Like, doctors were not even there when I had my baby. Because I, I had her so fast. They walked in. I was already <laughs> with a baby. Who, and who delivered it? Uh, so the, there was just a lady who was watching me as you like, I was like, the baby's coming. She's like, okay, here we go. <laughs> how, how painful is that? Um, well, the first time was more painful, but the second time is like, your body just get, you gets used to it. Is it the, was the first, I just, <laughs> I'm curious too, actually. Okay, Thanks so was the first asking, time that yeah. you gave birth, was that the most painful thing you've ever experienced? Because I've heard no. on many accounts no. that giving birth is like the most painful thing. No, I think like, no, because I, I had a couple of surgeries and like recovering after surgeries is a lot more painful because I think this is a natural process and your body releases so many hormones. I don't know, it's the first time you're talking about yeah. <laughs> having run on this podcast, but it like is, your yeah. body releases hormones where we were meant to have babies 
you know, just doing our daily stuff. Like we would hide for several hours, have the baby, and then go back to our lives. Um, and because you're, you know, it, Does I, it like I've never tried drugs, but something? yeah, but you, like, you didn't, you weren't. I like never tried. I never tried. Yeah, and when you're having a baby, you're like you love everyone. I saw babies and I started crying because I was like, oh, I'm gonna have another baby right now. So it's just the hormones. It's just crazy. You you're in the outer space. <laughs> so you didn't have any sort of epidural or no. And that wasn't as painful as this. So what was the surgery that you had that was that painful? I had, um, what is it called? So they had to cut out something from my stomach, but yeah. they had three holes, and mm-hmm. then I couldn't walk after it for days. Oh my so gosh. that was really painful. Um, but having a baby was natural. So <laughs> that is Yeah. Wild. You don't hear of many births no, without uh, no, yeah. pain med- You know, I was born without any pain medications. You were born? Yeah. What? Yeah, so my mom, when she had... Uh, uh, my half sister, she, I, I don't know, she she had the epidural or whatever was given, but because I was going to be her last, um, that she wanted to have a natural experience, and so I've heard it's it's better because apparently I think the epidural does something to the to the child when it comes out, like the, there's some after effects that maybe they come out that makes sense numb mm-hmm. or something. I, th- I think there's something like that. I'm not an expert mm-hmm. by any means. I'm yeah, probably I butchering that really like that. bad. But no, yeah, I wanted this natural experience, so yeah. I worked with doulas who were helping me yeah. concentrate, and Dima was part of my husband. He was helping me a lot, so it was truly magical. And how has having a child, like, affected, has it affected your business at all, like your business philosophy, or philosophies in yeah. life in general? Are they good for business, is what Jack's asking. I don't, <laughs> I don't think, unless you're trying to build, like, a family blog. Uh-huh. Uh, but in general... <laughs> <laughs> that joke, we wow. triple views there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's hard to focus because sometimes you have a plan, like I'm going to film every day of the week and then your child gets sick and that's it. Your plans are ruined. <laughs> you you stay with your kid. So, yeah, it's different now. I can't really plan ahead. Hmm. Would you ever consider getting a nanny? I have a nanny. We have a nanny. Oh, you have a nanny. <laughs> we have nice a nanny. The, the problem is, like, the kid ne- needs you as a parent. Yeah. The nanny helps with daily things, but it's still when the kid is sick, it's you uh, who they need. Got it. What was the most unexpected thing for you being a parent? Hmm. Interesting. How dependent we're going to be on the nanny. <laughs> really? Like, we won't really be able to travel. Like, for example, went to Europe. Uh, a year ago when the kids were really small we wouldn't be able to do it without a nanny what do they do exactly that, nannies that's, yeah that's such a help uh, sometimes she sleeps with them so I can get the full night rest yeah. because when you have a small kid they would wake up several times a night and you you just don't get enough sleep mm-hmm. that's number one thing yeah. I'd say got it yeah. I think Graham wants to have a child at some point you know at some and point he's just yeah. trying to Get a feeling. Feel it out. Yeah, I'm not ready by any means. Like, I could go probably another 10 years and, and feel like, all right, maybe, maybe now. I don't know. It's a, it's a big commitment. Yeah. To, you know, it's I, I know it's at yeah. some point, but I feel like right now I'd be too selfish. Mm. Like, I want to be too focused on this. Anything that takes time away, I wouldn't uh, be as receptive. I don't think I'd be a good parent right now. One thing Alex Hormozzi said when we had him on our podcast is that it would be hard for him to have a child and be okay with his child not being the exact person he wants him to be. Oh. He wants the child to be. What do you think about that being a parent yourself? But you can control that. Right, but he says he would just have a hard time with that. Accepting that. Accepting that. Yeah, and mm. and, gate, and he adds that to the, the risk of having a child. It's like, what if I don't like my child? Or oh, you would not, love your child. <laughs> regardless. Of course. Yeah. What if they don't like you? 
Oh, Maybe no. that's how they phrased it. No, this is not how we build. The kids are built to love their parents and do anything that their parents do. But let's say he has an expectation of his child, and his child's, I don't want to do that. I'm doing my thing. Uh, and it happens to be crime or maybe, you know, drugs. Okay, we're talking or like, about older kids. Yeah, older okay. kids, yeah. I'm talking like, you know, 20s, 30s. Okay. That they just grow, you know, in, in a different direction that's not as intended. It's maybe not the best for the society. Yeah, I think my approach to this, I want them to be happy and then want them to be good citizens. So m- I have 18 years to teach them all I can. And then after that, it's really up to them. So you can change their personality. After 18, you think people are pretty set in. Yeah. Hmm, that's interesting. Yeah, I think for me, my biggest thing would be like if they don't have that drive or work ethic, mm. then I would feel like. But no, this know, is something yeah. you can teach them. This is something you can totally right. teach them. Because they wouldn't be too. I, f- I don't know. Like, I'm not very different from my parents because you just live in this world and this is how you see the world and the kids, they just learn from you. Yeah. That's it. But here's the thing, though. Like, what if I don't do a good job at teaching? What if they see, like, oh, you know, dad's always working. I don't want to work. But or no, something like that. Like, maybe they want to, like, do the opposite. You're seeing it in a negative way. But it's a... You can I think look at it yeah. in a positive way. Yeah. My dad's depends. always working. That's amazing. Yeah. Like, if you're mean to your children or you don't like treat them well, then I think whatever you do, they're probably going to go against. But I think if mm-hmm. you yeah, like sure. shower your kid with love and support, obviously don't yeah. spoil them, you know. But you live your own good life and you show them love and you do your own thing. They'll look at you just like most people would and be like, "That's a pretty remarkable person. I yeah. want to be just like them." Yeah. That's true. So, I agree with that. So. On the, the whole business side of things, how are your businesses broken down currently? What businesses are you running? So my husband took over most of the operations of LinguaTrip because it's really hard when other people cannot rely on you. Like mm-hmm. sometimes the team needs a manager and I'm with a kid. So we decided that he's taking over all the operations at LinguaTrip. Uh, I'm doing my channels. I'm doing my courses. I'm doing brand deals and in investing. Mm-hmm. So those are the two things that you have going on. It's the, the language course thing. You have your own courses, like how to be a YouTuber and stuff, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Yes, I remember those. And then uh, the child and everything. Yeah. That's interesting. Two kids. And how many hours are you working then? Four to five a day. That's the maximum I can do. How but do that's you on do top that? of taking care of Of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. No, like yeah, working yeah. is four to five hours. Yeah, and the rest is like kids and home. <laughs> it's it's hard to relate because it's like we don't have those experiences. No, so like we're trying to learn, mm-hmm. but it's hard to be like, oh yeah. I, How I, many hours do you work? Uh, depends on the day. Usually eight to twelve mm-hmm. a day, I'd say. But it depends on the day. Like Fridays, I could take a little earlier because you have the whole weekend. Uh, nothing happens in the market, mm-hmm. so I'd say you work yeah. close to like sixty hours a week, fifty to sixty. Uh, yeah. Yeah, probably. That's a lot. But it's great. Yeah, but it depends because sometimes I could get like five hours worth of work, but it's so concentrated and you're mm-hmm. just like in the zone. And other days it'll be like 14 hours, but my brain's scattered. I, I don't get quality work done. Mm. It takes me so much longer. And you're, get... you've experimented with TikTok, right? Because I've seen your TikToks. Oh, kind of. Mm-hmm. Kind of, kind we of. Have the TikTok yeah. Ice Coffee Hour, yeah, the, which have been doing really oh. well. Ice Coffee has been doing really well for us. Oh, nice. Actually, um, the, the TikTok. The yeah. TikTok account, yeah. yeah, it's been doing really well. Uh, for my own personal, we've had uh, our guy just clipping up little bits and pieces and posting them. Uh, I got to do more on TikTok, though. Yeah. yeah I think realistic. He was yeah. here today. Yeah, I saw him. You should talk to him and yeah. just put him on the actual, like, a salary or something like yeah. that. Hey, I expect one per day because 
I know. So. I, I got to do that. And you should try creating platform-specific content, like TikTok-specific. I don't have the time. I, that's I am not so, true. I am Everyone burnt out. always has the time, man. I am burnt out. You don't I, have the energy. I don't. But you I, have the time. Something, something will have to be pushed off. Something. I'm at a point now where I feel so good we're just saying no. Mm. And, like, even of what I have right now, I just, like, deep down, I, which I think I might do, is just say no to, like, just cancel the things I have going on right now. Interesting. Yeah. I, and it, it, everything I've, I've canceled, I felt so good afterwards. Wow. Like, I felt so good about the vlog. I felt so good about just everything else. Uh, millennial money. Like, just not doing it. it this weight has been lifted off my shoulder. I feel so much better. Mm-hmm. And the more I say no to things, the better I feel, the happier no I am. No Zero. Oh, my gosh, no. You, you couldn't pay me That's to want to take that back on. I just I don't want to do it anymore. That so, makes sense. So, yeah, for TikTok content, it would take my time away from something else. Uh, even now, selling, I sold one rental property that just closed. And now I'm like, it's, it's so nice just not to think about it. Just mm. the mental... I, I could go off the deep end here and just like sell everything. I, I'm not going to do that, but it's just the simplicity of just buying an index fund. I've loved it, and I don't want to deal with the properties anymore. Mm. It's like, oh, I have to pay property taxes, and remember, like, you know, I had insurance lap on a property. That was so stupid, mm-hmm. and it was just because I didn't have the time. I they sent me an email. I didn't see it, and uh, insurance lap for like three months. And like, what if something happened in those three months? And now I'm not insured because I'm too busy to look at an email, uh-huh. and the property manager isn't, not, isn't aware of that. So. Interesting. So in five yeah. years, ideally, you would just do one video a week and that's it? Uh, I don't know. Because I, sometimes I love the three videos a week mm-hmm. and I love the current schedule. I think if I could just, I, I think at the end of the day, I just need to focus on the three things, which is main channel, second channel, iced coffee hour. And, and that's it. Mm-hmm. I don't think I have any capacity anymore for anything else other than those. Mm-hmm. And I think I just do those really well. And that's my strength. Interesting. Because, yeah, because I hear too many things, honestly. And I've been thinking, like, you know, even listening to all these pitches today. I've been taking so much advice from other people and just like, oh, yeah, they're right. Like, you know, not saying this is wrong for you, Jack, but like the outsourcing or taking on new projects and, oh, you should be doing this. And, you know, your audience is perfect to, to, to you know, collaborate with these ideas. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, eh, I think I think they're the wrong choices for me. Mm-hmm. And at the end, like, I don't feel as excited as I should be. What's your end so, goal? Sorry, I'm uh, just, I took over. <laughs> yeah, no, I think it's fine. Uh, I'm just enjoying what I do and I think at the end of the day like I enjoy making videos and like that's what I have the most fun doing everything else at this point just but like if you could imagine an event where you go yeah. as a very special guest like Oscars or yeah. Nobel Prize or whatever like what would this event be Dr. Phil Joe Rogan. wait me going on an event yeah yeah like I'm getting yeah. an award or I want an award I don't want it. I, or like a party where everybody. Graham hates parties. I don't go. I'm I'm not that social. Yeah. I don't know. Like a perfect event for me would be uh-huh. like six people. All you could eat sushi. That would be the perfect event for me. Who are those six people? Oh gosh. Uh. Well, <laughs> Jack obviously. No, I just think honestly with the team, it's like uh-huh. you know me, Macy, Jack, Alex, uh, Kelsey, and then Jack's future girlfriend. Six of us right there. Andrew could come along. Andrew, come if, along. Until you get a girlfriend, and then Andrew, you yeah. know, has to... He's my interim girlfriend. That's, yeah, exactly. that's great that you're like, you're all set now. Yeah. So He's got everything he wants. You yeah. know what, Graham? I think with the team. I got to say, team, so yeah. I, I'm, I'm always pushing to outsource. I'm always pushing, yeah. like, try this new thing, try yeah. growing and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, knowing who you are and with your logic, I think 
what you just said was extremely reasonable, and I, I agree. I with think. It. So. I think. Yeah. Look, man, if you're at the point of just not having the energy, I sympathize. Sympathize with that, and I get where you're coming from. Yeah. As long as you can maintain what you're doing and you can maintain it well. It's totally fine. That's what I think. Everything else has been stressing me out lately, and I just don't want the stress anymore. I just, I don't want to deal with it. I just, you know, I want to look at my emails and not have to deal with it. You know, I just Mm want to focus, Mm -hmm. making videos, you know. Great. So I think that's, I've learned that. I think today was a good revelation for me. That's Mm -hmm. good, man. Yeah, I think so, too. That's great. What about you, Marina? Do you feel like you still have all this energy to continue pushing these new things and trying out new businesses and scaling what you have right now i think so you yeah. think so yeah i just got excited like all the all the things happening with short videos mm-hmm. like my choice right now is do i push it and just do more or do i stop there because like the attention i'm getting i'm not ready for it right now like millions of views and like as i was saying kids staring at me in the streets and like not necessarily getting the feedback i was expecting when i was like showing the Tesla and all of the comments are about me showing off with a Tesla. Oh, I remember. <laughs> okay, so did you see this video, Jack? No, I okay, it, it's kind of funny. <laughs> I'm going to speak candidly here. No, of course. I took the Tesla to the car wash, but instead of calling it a car, I took the car the Tesla. The but Tesla. this is what I'm the used Tesla. to. Like I say, <laughs> yeah, I know. I I did the same thing. I'm like, we're going to take the Tesla. Said we're going to take my car. We're going to take the Tesla. That's interesting. Yeah, but everyone in the comments was like. I didn't know she had a Tesla. <laughs> uh, tell me again that she had a Tesla. People are like, what car does she drive again? <laughs> how many times People do that with Tesla. Yeah. Like Tesla specifically. But I do it with yeah. everything. Like yeah. I name things. I give them a name. And like the, the, ba- <laughs> the most basic thing you can name them is the, the brand. Yeah. It's true. No, but like Apple my Watch. I mean, I do my you iPhone. say Watch? You say Apple Watch. I, don't yeah. know. I say Apple Watch. Yeah. And yeah. I think with Tesla specifically, they yeah. do it. Nobody says like, I'm going to take my uh, Toyota. My yeah. Nissan. But they no, do I say Nissan. my Ford. Yeah. I say my Ford all the time. Hmm. Yeah. You should yeah. remake that, but with Ford. <laughs> See what the reaction is. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Drive my Ford. I Everyone's my gonna, Celica. My 87 Celica. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's going to think it's sponsored then. <laughs> <laughs> that would be pretty good. My 2010 Ford like Explorer. That's a good way to, XLT. You know, to, to make light of situations like that. Kind of leaning into the joke. You know what I mean? Leaning into the joke, but it happens every time. I deliver a message, but people see something completely different. Wow. Like, b- because they go viral. Like, How does if that I make get 300, like, when I get 300,000 views, I'm like, the feedback is perfect. When I get. 2 million views, 11 million views, 30 million views. This is when things go wild. And I don't know, like, I'm excited about all of the views. Like, this is cool. I can actually make this this type of videos. But then at the same time, do I want people to see me as a dumb girl who says Tesla versus Sinkar? I don't know, because they think it's dumb. I just think it's engagement. It's engagement. Yeah. I know. But then I'm thinking, like, if I, sorry, if I want to work with, you know, this particular brand, like, if they come to the comment section would they want to work with me yes uh, I, I think know. so I think, I think so. if you got canceled you're not getting canceled people no, are just no, making no. fun of you I don't but think like, it matters at even all even like the Chris, Chris Jenner she made the master class and I, I watched the master class and I was like okay she okay it's a good product but what do people say because Kardashian said mm-hmm. so I went on Reddit people were like on this product and they were like I will cancel my master class membership because you did this I was like do I want to be like not exactly Kardashians, but do I want to be this controversial person that does something, and then the company is also getting uh, depends how safe you want to play it. I think there's a the high risk, high reward. I think the risk is pretty limited because you're not saying it like saying my Tesla and people are poking fun at that. I 
I think is very mild. Yeah. I, I don't think there's anything that. wrong with that. It's the nature of TikTok yeah. comments. Right. Or YouTube shorts mm. comments. That's I th- just how it is. I think any brand would look at that and say, oh, wow, 20 million views. That's incredible. Mm. I don't think they're going through reading the comments. Mm. I'd be surprised. Mm-hmm. I think it's worth it. Because the thing yeah. is, like, when you're talking to 20 million people, like, that little minuscule percent is going to be the most vocal about mm-hmm. it. Every time I have something do better than average, you get those comments. And the haters yeah. are way louder yeah. Oh, yeah. than the people that support you. Yeah. Half the time, I think they're joking, though. It's half the, I think it's just like yeah. you know exaggerating behind a computer because it's funny. Mm-hmm. And then if they start getting upvotes, then it's like, woohoo, I got all the attention. And then if the creator responds like, wow, I got their attention. Yeah. Yeah. Half the time, I think it's just that. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think it's that serious. But you've got a knack for this. Like, you're on to something, mm-hmm. and we don't know how long that algorithm is going to work That's for. true. That's absolutely true. I and would, this is what I'm like. Maybe we have six months. Maybe like I that. would take your shot. Because with this audience that you could grow could be faster than, like, taking 10 years somewhere else. And you could do it in six months. Mm-hmm. And I think that the risk is low. Yeah, just, just managing how people see. Because I don't want to be seen as, like, this girl who shows off in Silicon Valley. This is not the brand I'm trying to build here. Like, I try to convey one message and people see another message. So, I don't know. Yeah. Maybe have a review system, but, like, have it filtered through, like, five people, and then if they all like it. Like, I watched your video, mm-hmm. and I didn't think a single thing about the Tesla mm-hmm. until I went to the comments. Yeah. <laughs> but you know what? It's funny. Yeah, that's a good But the point. comments make made me watch it again. Uh, so, if anything, oh, the comments could be, it's like this loop where it's like, watch the video, go to comments watch the video again to see if the comments were right. Yeah. Uh, that could that could work to yeah, your favor, though. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, the, like the latest video I made about the flying, like the flying experience when we had to wait, et cetera. But everything, everyone was focused on, like I brought an egg on the airplane, but this is what Russians do, would bring eggs, cucumbers, and uh, ham to feed the babies. No, on the and plane. On the plane. <laughs> yeah, see, I, yeah, this I is what we do. And people like freaking out. Eggs. You bought it. <laughs> the plane, really? Yeah. But you know what? But I think some of it, just I want to say the culture differences make it watchable and engaging. That, yeah. And the fact that you get so many comments, I just, that's not something that people get upset about, at least. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I think it's fine. Yeah. I think something something to work on my, with myself as well. Because I think I want to control everything and also the way people see me. And when I can't control it, I'm freaking out. And that's my problem. Yeah. I get you 100%. Like, anytime I see a hate comment, it makes my day so... Like, I, okay, this is going to get a lot of people to write hate comments. But it, it doesn't make me feel good, right? But I, I can see a bunch of really nice compliments. And I would say, like, it, the feeling that I get is so much less than, like... You know what I mean? Then yeah. I hate comment. For some oh, they reason, they put research. you down way yeah, more yeah. than, you know, nice comments put yeah. you up. Yeah. So. Yeah. I would say it's almost 100 to 1. Like, you have to get 100 good yeah. comments to outweigh one bad comment. Yeah. yeah really, I agree on that. Yeah. terrible. But yeah. I think that, yeah. like, that's something we can all work on as creators is recognizing, like, people watch you for a reason. It means they probably appreciate what you have to say for the most part. I agree with yeah. that. And Absolutely. also, I'm a firm believer. It's like you get a, a pool of, uh, you know, 100% of your people watch your video. Uh, let's say 99% enjoy it. 1% dislike it. 3% of your comments are going to be negative mm. because the, if you have a negative emotion towards the video, you're probably more likely to comment than yeah. you know, yeah. positive. That's mm. true. 
Well, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. What an interesting episode. I know. (laughs) Yeah. Let me know the next time I get right into your recommended section. Let me know. Yeah. I'm actually before reading the comments. Okay, I will. (laughs) Will do. Okay. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Yeah. It's good to meet you guys. Thanks. So up next we have Nate O'Brien coming on. This is going to be a really unique episode because Graham is actually going to be busy for this one. He has to judge this event. People are going to be pitching him their startup ideas, something like that. And uh, it's just going to be Nate and I. So this is a one-on-one very short 15 minutes you guys are gonna love this one we get really personal tune in hey guys thanks so much for tuning in i have nate o'brien here today you may notice graham steven he's gone he's not present it's just nate and i we're gonna have a little low-key chat about some business some cool stuff you're doing because you're doing a lot of cool stuff i don't know how much how much are you comfortable talking about nate uh we can talk about a lot of business stuff yeah okay because you're doing two things i mean you've been on this podcast a couple of times before we discussed your like reclusive slash minimalistic life that you're doing where you're like going into like the Rockies and like living in a van. Yeah. And at the same time, you're running like multiple six figure businesses online and we Mm -hmm. can go into a little bit of both of those. Sure. Yeah. They are two total like weird things. Like you wouldn't think that they match up and they, you feel like they wouldn't align, but uh, they do. You're not a very flashy person for like being so young, making, you know, some pretty good change. Yeah. I don't like the flash. I, I don't like drawing attention to myself. Um, and I, yeah, I never really set out to be like an influencer or like to get attention. It was just sort of an opportunity. And so, you know. And you've never been flashy or never wanted to be? No, I, I don't want people looking at me. Um, I'm trying to stay discreet, you know. Would you consider yourself kind of like an introvert? Oh, big time. Big introvert. Um, I've gotten a lot better at speaking to people. Just like forced myself to learn it. and uh, But my social battery dies very quickly. So I just spent five days in New York with tons of meetings. And now I'm just like. Hmm. And it's always been that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, actually, before it was even bad, I wouldn't even go to social events because I couldn't handle them. Why? Is I it just, like anxiety or do you think it's yeah, just, just your tolerance is low? For no, you? just like a, I wasn't good at holding conversations, didn't know how to communicate with people. I had to teach myself how to do that. I'm wondering if since you spent, assuming like, that you did this, you spent time away from like social events and parties and that kind of lifestyle, you were left to your own devices and that gave you a lot of time and opportunity to research like different business strategies and stuff like that? Yeah, definitely, especially growing up because um, like I didn't have a lot of friends. And so uh, when everybody would go hang out or go to the movies on the weekends in like middle school, I would just go home into my room and just wor- like focus on like building things. And I'm always curious, I ask this question to a lot of people that come on this podcast, but I'm always curious, like, what is it in you that is that innate desire that I'm assuming you've always had to be exceptional in something? Like, a lot of people, I'm guessing, live their life and they just think, you know, like, I'm happy making ends meet, doing my thing, you know, settling down or whatever. But it seems like a lot of people we have on, they just have this innate desire. Do you know if it's like your family instilling values on you or if it's like just something people are born with? Um, you know, for me, it was, it was actually because uh, from a, for a business thing, it was because I wanted a lot of freedom with, with my time, right? So mm-hmm. like, that's why I started all the business ventures because you know, I didn't want to get a job. I didn't want to have to go to school and everything. So I was like, let me just make some money so I can just do whatever I want whenever I want. Like, mm-hmm. It could be Tuesday and I can just be you know, sitting in a lawn chair somewhere in, in the middle of the day. Um, but yeah, I mean, my family didn't really pressure me on anything. So there wasn't any like big pressure. It's like, Nate, you need to go to college. You need to get a good job. It was just kind of, hey, do whatever you want. You know, if you want to mow lawns, that's cool. If you want to 
be a you know a, a doctor that's cool too um but it was it's very chill so i i don't know where that came from i think it was just i love learning i love uh really challenging myself and i think you need growth always um and so if you, you know there's that saying like if you're not growing you're dying right mm -hmm. so like just always moving forward in some way just kind of keeps me happy and uh, everything in check yeah and what about comparing yourself to other people because i do my best not to do it because it's just I think it's just objective, well, not objectively, because you can use it to your advantage, but a lot of the times it results in some pretty bad, uh, you feel poorly, right? And I compare myself, believe it or not, to you a lot. <laughs> because we're the exact, you're 23, right? Yeah. We're the exact same age, right? But you get to live in the Rockies and you like have this cool van life, but at the same time, you're making like crazy money. You get to travel a bunch. You're like nomadic. Like that is like the ideal life in my opinion. Do you find yourself comparing yourself to other people? Oh, the grass is always greener on the other side. I mean, um, I remember actually you had you uh, and Graham had Kevin on the iced coffee hour at one mm -hmm. point, and you actually like I came up in the conversation, and you were talking about how you know you guys would like to be me, where you can just kind of travel and stuff. And then I was watching this, thinking I would love to be Graham, where I could actually get out so much more work, or Kevin, where I can get out you know seven videos a day. So the grass is always greener on the other side. Yeah. That's really interesting yeah. that you that you want to be more productive. I mean, I, honestly, I'm I'm pretty content where I am. Um, I mean, I always have that like work smarter before you work harder mm -hmm. mentality. And it's like um, also just you know I'm I'm okay with not working a hundred hours a week, but I do wish I had that capability of doing that. Is there ever a time in your life do you think where you'll just be like I have enough? I, I'm making good money. I've been making good money for a long time. I can stop on my businesses and go travel. I think that would get depressing if I if you stopped everything entirely. I think right now what I'm doing is exactly what I wanted to do. That's like my dream of like being able to travel and also growing stuff on the side. So like you, you don't need to have a full sprint um, and sacrifice 30 years of, of my life in order to still accomplish something. That's kind of, so yeah, I, I think I can do both. Maybe I'm not gonna be, you know, a, a billionaire, but um, still, I, th I think I can accomplish both at the same time. Have fun while also growing businesses. That's interesting. and. Onto your actual businesses that you're running at the moment. It's interesting to me because you have so many different businesses. And every time you come on here, you're always kind of like a little secretive about what exactly is going on. And I was wondering if we, maybe we could talk about some of those businesses that you're running, how you built them up, how successful are they really? And uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, just pays the bills. Um, I have like some YouTube channels um, and like, you know, personal finance stuff. And um, yeah, a couple channels. And uh, yeah, they pay bills. So you have your main channel. You have Nate O'Brien. Yeah, yeah. And how much is that making? Are you uh, are you comfortable it's, saying it's, numbers it's, or would you rather I mean, not? Um, yeah, I probably don't want to go into specific numbers. But mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's like it's not making as much as, as it did last year because I make one video a month on it now. Um, I feel bad letting it totally die, you know, because I feel like I have to, like, give people something. And also, you know, I could do some decent-sized brand deals. So I feel bad, like, letting it go. Right, but it doesn't excite you that much. No, it, it doesn't excite me that much because I, I I think I've said everything I need to say. But right? why can't you just reorient the reorient the uh, type of content that you're putting out to stuff that you're, you know, interested in? Because I I just don't really want to talk to a camera. You know, I, there's there's other things that that I'd rather work on that that, that we are working on. So. Okay, yeah. so you're saying stuff where you're behind the camera running some sort of business or... Yeah, yeah, that stuff is, is good as well. Like running channels without being on them is, is also great. Um, but even just beyond that, sort of like the stuff that I'm working on with Sebi with some of the venture stuff is, is more exciting. I was, let's talk about that for a second. Yeah. Because I know I actually only became aware of this <laughs> other business that you're doing with Sebi. I don't know how long, maybe like three, maybe like it was a month and a half ago or something. You guys all ago, came yeah. to Vegas and we all went like 
gambling, I guess. Like, yeah, we, all, yeah, we all played poker. Yeah. Oh, man, that was rough. It was rough. I, I, I was so scared playing poker in Vegas. It was, like, one of the first time I've played, too, so I didn't really know what was going on. But, you know, we were trying to crack jokes and stuff, and everybody's so serious at the poker table in Vegas. Yeah. It was just, yeah. Scary. Yeah, that, that was a tough <laughs> experience right there. But I remember we were sitting at the poker table, and you were talking about, like, some new business venture with Sebi, and I was completely caught off guard by it. Maybe I'm just out of touch, but what exactly is this business that you're doing with Ask Sebi? We've had him on the podcast before. Uh, yeah, he's a really, really smart guy. Yeah, Sebi's a great guy. Um, genius. Um, and so uh, if you remember, Graham invested into Yada, right, which mm -hmm. is which is that uh, banking app. And, you know, uh, they do a lot of really cool things. Um, but so Graham invested in that through one of Sebi's syndicates. So Sebi, going back on some of his history and the reason why we partnered together is because he had a company. He was a co-founder of a company that uh, got acquired by a firm back in, I think, 2015. And then he actually became a YouTuber, and that's sort of how we all connected with him. Um, but at some point around 2020, he started running syndicates. Um, and he, he lives in SF, so he's very tied in with the venture world and in uh, like, like that very early stage uh, pre-seed and, and, and seed companies. Um, and so he's doing those syndicates, and then eventually uh, we kind of combined forces and said, hey, let's launch a formal uh, venture fund and uh, so, so we just launched uh, uh, like back in, in May, so it's, it's been pretty recent, um, and just kind of focusing on like, hey, look, we're creators, uh, creators having equity in companies, and we can help those companies uh, grow, and that's kind of the, the main thesis there. So explain it. What's that thing they say on Reddit? Like explain like I'm five or whatever? Okay. Give, give it to me like that, right? Like say I don't even know what uh, All right. syndicate is. So let's take it actually from, from the startup's perspective, right? Okay, wait, so you don't know what a syndicate is. So basically, a syndicate is when you just get a group of people together, and that creates like a vehicle that then invests yeah. into a company, okay. right? So Sebi went, he went to Graham, he went to myself, he went to a handful of other finance influencers, and he said, hey, there's this really cool company. It's super early. Um, it, they're, they're raising on their seed round at a, a certain valuation. Um, I think we should get all these creators together and, and invest into this company and get some equity in them because, look, like, you know, Graham, like, Say, for example, Weeble, right? How much equity has been driven by Graham for Weeble over the past five years is probably an insane amount. Mm -hmm. And like he got paid, you know, a lot of cash, but if he had equity, it, there's a potential it'd be worth even more. Or like when I started promoting Robinhood in 2016, I don't know what their valuation was, probably $100 million or something, you know? And then they, they, at one point they're worth over 10 billion. Um, so instead of getting $5 in cash, having some equity there would have been really incredible. Yeah. So you're saying you get a bunch of people together and when you're basically shouting out these companies or doing affiliates and stuff like that, driving traffic, instead of being paid cash, people are being paid equity in these companies. Essentially, or so there's different ways to do it. You can be paid in equity, which is through one of Sebi's companies called Subscribe, which you should just have on again to talk about it because it's mm -hmm. really interesting, um, or just investing into it. But imagine as an influencer, if every company that you're promoting and is sponsoring your video, you have you own a piece of that company. Like mm -hmm. how like really important that could be. Um, and that's what the big people do. You know, that's what like Logan Paul does with a lot of his stuff or the Kardashians, How do you know that? right? Um, I mean, just just look at the stuff that they're talking about, right? Logan Paul's not doing one-off videos with um, like some random brand. Most of the stuff that he's promoting today, or Mr. Beast, for example, he, he does some one-off stuff, but a lot of the stuff like Feastables with his Willy Wonka yeah, video, yeah, yeah. He, he, he has he, a vested he, he, he interest aside from exactly. that. Exactly. So, yeah. so creators shouldn't just be focusing on cash. They should like, it's also nice to have cash plus some interest in that because really the real money in most of business is built in equity appreciation.
That's interesting. Yeah. And it also makes sense that the businesses would prefer this as well because then also they get to, like, first of all, you get, like, to add the, the creator, whoever's, you know, shouting you out as your list of, you know, like people that own or whatever. Yeah, totally. Uh, and also, you know, it's probably a little cheaper if you're a startup and you're, mm-hmm. you know. And, and then also we can really help on, on uh, helping the companies understand, hey, look, you're overpaying influencers, right? Because I'm sure you guys see that as well, where there's some uh, startups who will raise some money and they just don't know what's the going rate for influencers. Mm-hmm. And so that's what we're kind of there to help them as investors into their company. Uh, we have the connections, right? So we know a lot of influencers. We can connect them with them for potential brand deals and also tell them, look, you're getting screwed. You're paying too much for new users or, or whatever it might be. So, yeah, we just feel like it's, it's a great uh, relationship. Mm-hmm. So that's that right there. You mm-hmm. have that. You have your main channel. And then what else do you have going on? Um, I, I mean, those are really the, the two main things. Um, and then... Um, yeah, and then just also a lot of networking, which is kind of a weird thing. You can't really. But I, I've never found a ton of value in networking, but I know you go to all these conferences, you go to all these events, and meet up with a bunch of other like companies and uh, creators. Like, yeah. what value do you find in that? Um, I, it's a couple of things. So going back to what I said earlier, I love learning, and mm-hmm. so when I can just meet people and they have a new business, like we were just talking to John, right, and he was telling us about his his new company that he launched, Lucy, um, which I'm assuming I can talk about on here. But yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and yeah, it's just so interesting. And like, I, I would love to get on a call with him and talk for three hours about the company, just learn about it. And, what, in, and that might almost be a downside in to me. In the hopes of investing? No, or no, no, no. Just because I'm genuinely interested. And th- this might be one of my sort of like kryptonites, like my, my uh, things that uh, is, is almost bad, where I'm too interested in things uh, and in everything that I, sometimes I feel like I waste my time. Like, for example, um, I don't make a ton of videos on YouTube on my channel because I'm going to be honest. Some of my time is just spent, you know, I'll spend six hours like researching a publicly traded company to try to make a trade when maybe I should just be making videos. But right. I, I just love learning and I'm just always intrigued by things. That's really interesting. And do you ever spend time like wasting it away? Like on TikTok or just like scrolling on YouTube shorts or something like that? Like, do you I, ever do that? Um, yeah, I mean, I'm sure I do. Uh, I would say the way that I waste time is probably a little bit different than other people. So I, I, I don't consume really short form content. I try to stay away from it just because I can't yeah, yeah. like get away. Like it's, it's so hard to get out of TikTok. If once you enter into it, you'll be on it for two hours. So, I mean, I waste time. Like I'll drive for 15 hours on the road somewhere and just, um, you know, so that's kind of a waste but of time. But knowing you, right? I mean, you're driving, you're like listening to some crazy podcast. Well, yeah, yeah. You're like yeah, thinking of your next multi-million dollar business okay, plan. Yes, yes. But, um, okay, yeah, that's true. But I, I love just learning. I, I love consuming as much as possible. Huh. Yeah. Okay, so that's all of the businesses that you have going on, basically, for the most part, right? Yeah, now. pretty much. I mean, I have a couple like uh, channels with my brother that also, you know, just kind of help like diversify a little bit. But uh, other than that, yeah, that's that's pretty much it. Hmm. And one thing I kind of wanted to make apparent because. I remember before I was like in the YouTube scene and I would I would watch content similar to this. I would see like people that were you know near my age and I see them talking and they're all like businessy or whatever and I'm like gosh, like why am I not doing that? And I want to make it clear to people. I've always wanted to say this on the podcast, but now I guess it's the perfect time. It's like Nate and I when we're not talking on the podcast, it's not always about like, you know, these crazy business plans that we have. Like we all like we just talk you know, we joke around and talk about random stuff too. Oh, totally. I always just wanted to say that because I feel like that there's, there's this idea that like people like Graham, people like you, people like me, like it's all business all the time. But that's yeah. not necessarily the case. No, yeah, we, we do a lot outside of uh, business, you know. Yeah, you got to have fun. Yeah. So Graham, 
I mean, you're still gone. <laughs> I'm still just saying. Anyway, so Graham's still gone. I mean, he's here right now, but we're recording this after the fact. Yeah. Uh, but right now, I guess in the video, he's like recording still. And we figured it'd be fun if we brought on Ask Sebi. And Nate O'Brien is going to be filling in for Graham. Right. He is my new co-host of this podcast. Let's get on with the cool. show with Ask Sebi. Welcome back to the Iced Coffee Hour. We have... My co-host, Nate O'Brien, uh, Graham's actually filming the thing right now, and we wanted Sebi on, and we couldn't have done it otherwise, so Nate's my co-host. Yeah, I've never co-hosted before, so. But you wanted to start a podcast, so this is a good opportunity to test out your skills. Yeah, so do we, like, interrogate him? or what? Yeah, don't, we're going to interrogate Don't you have a Nate him. O'Brien show? What happened to that? Ah, it's just been on the back burner forever, yeah. All right, well, <laughs> <laughs> well, we have Ask Sebi. We've had you on the podcast before. People loved the episode, okay? We talked about how you're an unemployed person making $10 million or whatever. I don't, I don't remember. Some, some, title, some yeah. clickbait. It yeah. was some clickbait that Graham yeah. came up with, and I was like, all right, sounds good to me. So we brought you back on uh, to talk about a lot of crazy stuff that's going on with you and your businesses, and I know you've currently partnered with Nate on this new business venture. We kind of talked about it briefly when I had Nate on. Um, I'm going to go ahead and pass it to you, Nate. What do you got to say? Um, yeah, uh, kind of like, see, this is why I'm not a good host. <laughs> it's okay, man. It's, o- it's okay. Um, what should I ask him? Okay, here. I have a question for you. Um, <laughs> I'm never starting a podcast. I can't do it. I'm retired. You got it, man. You got it. Um, but uh, yeah, what what was your reasoning for... Um, <laughs> I have nothing. I have nothing. I believe in you. Okay, okay. Actually, tell us about the company that got acquired by a firm because you're so stealthy about that, and I didn't even know that until last year, and nobody knows that because he's so quiet about it. Yeah, so that was – we were basically helping people attending coding boot camps get loans because coding boot camps is one of those, like, weird things where if you attend it, there's a very high likelihood that you get a very high-paying job. So I think a lot of people who are not in the New Yorks and the Bay Areas of the world or even L.A.'s now – you don't realize that tech jobs can pay an absurd amount. Like a lot of people in normal places view six figures as kind of the dream. And oftentimes that's kind of the starting point for a lot of software engineering roles. And we're trying to help people uh, get into these programs because they're otherwise expensive. Uh, So basically it was a lending platform for that purpose. Okay. So you were like tech lead kind of in a way. Um, Not really tech lead, more so like kind of a, a firm or like a SoFi, like getting a loan in order to attend the program. I think Tech Lead is selling you his course and <laughs> his life. So for some reason, coins. it's hard basically to give loans or to go through the underwriting process. Or whatever exactly. So a bank, a bank doesn't know For people know that aren't making money yet. Exactly. But for people that go through this coding boot camp, it's almost guaranteed that as they get out, they have a very marketable skill. They can get a high paying job. So you guys were providing loans for people to attending to attend those coding is it a tuition loan or is it like a yeah, loan? So those were tuition loans, uh, but it wasn't. So these aren't like technically like colleges mm-hmm. or traditional ones. They're more like secondary programs. So the hard part was making sure that we weren't financing bad programs. So a lot of these, okay. So it depends. So some of them are very good in that they're focused on you getting hired and actually getting a good job and they have a good track record. A lot of other copycat ones were like, okay, you can charge people $21,000 or $17,000 to teach them the bare basics, and there's no risk on their end. So we need to make sure that we weren't funding those. Oh, so it depends on actually the boot camp that these people are going to. Yeah, so we were trying to go after like the Harvard and Stanford's of those programs to make sure that people had a higher likelihood of getting employed afterwards and also being able to repay the loan. And these weren't loans that were backed by the government or anything? No, not at all. These were just purely... It was peer-to-peer lending. Wait, how are you... 
how are you uh, kind of like evaluating the sort of like the credit risk or like the default risk? And were you shipping that risk off or you were just like bringing it all on yourself? So we were just a technology platform. So we were not taking uh, on the credit right. risk. We were a platform facilitating oh. everything. Um, and then also the risk, it was more so looking at the results of those coding boot camps and how they previously performed. So some of them, like again, if you don't have a track record there, uh, not that good. If you're someone who has a tendency of placing people at these high paying jobs, then that's a lower risk. But the idea is that uh, you might be very smart, you might be underemployed right now, let's say you're working at like McDonald's or something, but like you are actually smart. But without that actual education, then you have a hard, it's a very hard path to get into that traditional mm -hmm. role. And by going to this program, it can changeably increase your income from $30,000 to let's say $80,000, $100,000 but you might not want to pay that up front, or you might not have the ability to get a loan off it. And who were the typical lenders? Was it just like random people that had good money, or was it like businesses or banks? Yeah, a lot of the lenders were not banks. A lot of the lenders were pretty much other tech people who have uh, oftentimes seen the ability of tech to like kind of change people's lives. Mm -hmm. And also just some other people who are arbitraging too, because they were like, well, I can make 8% here. And it makes sense because yeah. the credit risk feels relatively low. And that was kind of the rise of the prospers of the world where you were, there were a lot of like peer-to-peer -peer lending platforms taking off. And then that got acquired by a firm? Yeah. How much was the acquisition for? I <laughs> uh, can't say. And, but where did your role fall into place in this? It was pretty much a bit of everything. So a lot of kind of marketing, partnerships, a bit of products. Like as a founder, you're not really doing just one thing. I think a lot of people, when they think of jobs, especially like traditional corporate jobs, you're like looking very much like, okay, I do this. Anything beyond that, I'm not interested in. I'm only hired for this. Mm -hmm. And that makes sense when you're an employee. But when you're like a founder or when you're like working with Graham, for example, you're probably doing a bit of everything, right? Yes. Like, it's not like Graham's hiring you to edit. He's like, all right, cool. Can you also send this email? Can you take out the trash? Can you pick up this package for me? Maybe? Yeah. You taking out the trash for Graham? No. No. I've, ne <laughs> I've never taken out Graham's trash, but I have visited the postal office for him. Yeah. So same idea. But um, that, yeah, that was a while ago now. That's like seven years ago now. So. Uh, and then uh, transitioned into YouTube. Right, so so why did you pivot to YouTube? Because I feel like when someone exits a company, then I feel like they just go on to their next startup. And I feel like YouTube is sort of, so, I've never seen that really. So ironically, YouTube was initially kind of, I was debating turning that into a next startup. So I pretty much got very obsessed with credit cards. I kind of realized how much value you could get from it. Because for me, as someone who grew up relatively, like I would say lower middle class income, I never thought I'd fly business class or first class for that matter. So seeing how you can actually use points to do it, and I'm like, oh wait, like instead of just turning those points into $700 in cash, that can be a business class flight that would otherwise cost $7,000. So the fact that I can kind of see how the other side lives was very interesting to me. And then I kind of dove into that rabbit hole of like, oh crap, like there's all these cards. You can actually kind of modify your spend. You can also sign up for them and just hit the intro bonus and do that. So initially, uh, first off, I got very addicted to it, and then I was just telling my friends about it. That's kind of how that whole thing happened, where I spent like 30 minutes to like 45 minutes talking to a friend about like the Chase Sapphire Reserve. It's like, hey, you need to get this card. It makes so much sense. And then they were like, all right, cool. And the next time I saw them, they're like, hey, can you explain the card again? I'm like, no. So I was like, okay, I'm just going to make content. It's like, first, at, at a minimum, it's going to be a friend who watches it. If they need to watch 10 times, great. But it's like just explaining the idea that like this is a no-brainer as long as you're not overspending. And worst case, you can downgrade this into a no manual fee card. Uh, so that was kind of the starting point. And then 
uh, yeah, just started making more content. People were interested. And then I, I was surprised that I was getting a lot of smart comments too because I associated YouTube with like dumb comedy for lack of a better example where like the prank type stuff more than anything. Uh, so just to see like actual like professionals and smart people coming in and say, oh yes, uh, I, I did this trip. I did this trip. That was pretty cool to me. And then initially that, that whole thing was because uh, I was also doing like a blog where I was trying to make the next like nerd wallet. Mm. Yeah. So how many credit cards do you have? Because I know you have a lot. I'm saving that for a future video. So I, I need to. Dozens, at least, potentially. Y yes. Many. More than 30. And now I know you're going into like a lot of startup investing and stuff like that. Can you tell us a little bit more about, I remember last time we talked, we talked about the, the, the business you just discussed. What has changed since the last time we talked? It was probably what, like 10 months ago? Yeah, so uh, which business? Like the startup investing business? Or uh, it the, was the one that got acquired by a firm. It was the the, loan, the lending one. Yeah, so that was like eight years ago. That was like a while ago. Yeah, we talked about that in the yeah. first ever Ice Coffee Hour episode. Yeah, so uh, I ended up starting another company recently uh, with Mandy, my co-founder, that's basically helping content creators work with startups for equity instead. The idea being that a lot of companies just can't pay what creators are worth, especially uh, because personal finance rates might be more expensive than people realize. Uh, and then the other half of it is that we have seen so many of these companies go from, let's say, a 50 million valuation or 80 million to a 2 billion, a 1 billion valuation, like a unicorn. So if you think about it, like we're actively helping these companies 10, 20, 50x in value. But oftentimes when they come to us in the early stage, they kind of do the opposite. They're like, we can't pay that much because we're an early stage company and we'll pay you less now, but maybe I'll pay you more in the future. And like, you don't really want to take that handshake agreement because first off, they might not necessarily pay you more. And secondly, maybe maybe it just doesn't make sense for them to do that. So it's like, okay, cool. How do you like incentivize uh, creators to have that upside? So that's the equity component. And then in addition, recently uh, ended up starting a rolling fund of Nate O'Brien. Uh, the idea being that we end up seeing a lot of deals. We were doing a lot of angel investing anyways. And by having this fund, it basically means that we can help either uh, high net worth individuals invest and get access to these deals that they otherwise wouldn't, or creators who just don't have the time, right? Because creators, even if they might be interested in getting their hands dirty, they have so many different things they're working on that investing is this whole other thing that maybe it's not worth the time. Yeah, and sitting in on meetings too. Like, and like, I've never run syndicates, but you've, you've run many of them that I've, I've been in. And um, I can imagine how sort of just much of a headache it is to round up influencers to get them on a call with the founder and then have the influencer do some level of due diligence and then you know so it's it's uh, definitely the fund made a lot more sense hmm. and what about the the pub companies like the the bigger stock market how how when that goes down and or when that's struggling how does that affect the the private companies the stuff that you guys are more in tune with yeah I would say that funding slows down but good companies are still getting funded uh, I think the problem is that a lot of private investors look at these public companies as multiples. So, for example, if you were making a mattress company right now, you're like, okay, cool, who's the whale in the space? Casper. If Casper is not doing well, then your upside is so minimal as well. So that's kind of the big risk there, unless you have some other like twist to it or like something else going on. So Eight Sleep is one where even though they are a mattress company, they're more so a technology company because they have cooling, they do a lot of data stuff on the back end. They have like the SaaS play where they charge you a monthly fee to get your information and stuff. Uh, so I think like it just depends on how you position it. Uh, but I would say generally a bit of a pullback. Yeah, it, it, 
it sort of trickled down. Like it started with, uh, say, November when Elon and Bezos and some of those big guys started selling a lot of their public shares. And then it sort of trickled down from public to like the late stage, like, you know, like the Series C and Series D. And then eventually now it's even affected like the seed and pre-seed where they're having to lower their valuations as well overall. But I would say it's a net good thing because it yeah. means that the valuations have come down to earth. I'd say before that, like in the last, especially last year in particular, a lot of valuations were in like the absurd range where it was like pre-product, pre idea pre anything it's like 50 mil valuation yeah yeah pretty and much how do these companies even come up with their valuation like do they just say oh i think this company is worth this much and then it's kind of like it establishes its its own market and then people are like oh i'm willing to contribute this amount of money at this valuation it, or is there actual like statistics or or data to back up each valuation so i think some people will say that it's the probability of you becoming a billion dollar company and like how you want to price that i'd say it's more so just what will people want to pay right like mm -hmm. If people, if you're uh, someone whose last startup was Wealthfront and you've done well, you have a good track record of like founding these billion dollar companies and making people 10 to 20x back, people happily invest at a higher valuation. And then if you're someone who is like fresh out of school, then it's probably going to be a lower valuation or if you don't have a track record. So just because a company is valued at a, at a high amount doesn't necessarily mean you wouldn't say accurately represents the, the chances of this company becoming a billion dollar business. No, I think if anything, sometimes the higher the valuation, the harder it might be to even be to hit the goal to keep raising money. So one of the things with startups I think people get like confused with, especially if they watch a lot of Shark Tank, is the whole like focus on necessarily cash flow. They'll be like, oh, like what's your margin on this? What's your cash flow? And it's like, yes, that's important for certain things like D to C, where like if you're selling a can, that matters a lot. But if you're doing software, oftentimes in the early stage, it's about acquisition and whether you can like grab the market and you can kind of figure out how to like turn on more profit, like wedge, like levers afterwards to make it so that you are more profitable. So like if you look at like most companies early on, like Amazon's a good example of this, where like for a long time they were like, other people's margin is their opportunity because they wanted to keep expanding. Mm -hmm. And then that's kind of how they got into their position. But if you look back into like the finance uh, like new shows uh, like 20 years ago talking about Amazon, everyone thought it was a joke. So it's it's a tough thing, I think. What's the biggest factor you look at on somebody, let's say it's a, a kid who's 18 years old and they have an idea and they're trying to raise at a $25 million valuation. Uh, what's like the biggest thing you look at to say, okay, this is this is the person that is, is going to do it? Yeah, I think a lot of it is, so I think the three criteria, as most people say, are founder, so whether it's the right founder, uh, whether it's a market that you think is growing and also whether the product is good in that market. Uh, in terms of the founder, I, I think part of it is education. And then it's that intangible side. I think you can kind of get it when you talk to them. So it's like dating, right? Like someone might be good on paper or like under Tinder profile. It's like, oh, they're super attractive. Um, <laughs> hey, you too, Nate. You don't elbow me. <laughs> That's you too, Nate. Come on. It's every single little criteria you want, like, oh, okay, cool. But, like, maybe when you're talking to them, the chemistry's not there, or you feel like they're not worth your time. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So, for the person side, there's that um, industry, obviously. Is that space growing? Is it something that is in need of uh, disruption, or like, is like, or maybe it's highly competitive? Like, if you're launching something that sounds like a Me Too product, then that's very tough. And then also the product in that space, how it does. Relatively. Yeah. Jack, do you have any you seem like you're angel going investments? I'm I kept sinking. Uh, do I have any angel investments? Yeah. I've made one angel investment in investment investment in this company called Good Cash. And uh, I saw the pitch last time, Carrot, the people throwing this event, why everybody is here filming with us. 
uh, this guy pitched and I liked the company. And then I remember I also, I think I talked to you a little bit about it and you, yep. and you guys just said, do it, Jack. And I said, okay, yeah, I yep. trust you guys. So I did. Yeah. Yeah. He's a really smart kid. Uh, yeah. I shouldn't call him a kid, but he's 18. So he's yeah, like, adult, uh, young yeah, adult. super smart. Yeah. And I hear one other thing on angel investing. Usually when you're, when you're buying uh, some private equity in these companies, are you mostly placing a bet on the CEO or You're the founder? You're betting on the founder and the, and the and team. And it's not necessarily the product. Yes, because they can, they can pivot. That's the thing. But, like, are they able to execute if they need to pivot? Mm-hmm. End of the day, like, you're so early that it has to be the person. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. You'd think that it would be the product. You so, really would. So yeah. here's the thing, though. There's, there, there's so many companies that I pass on that are outside of the venture world. Like, there was one just this week where the idea was so good. I probably shouldn't share it right now, but it was such a good idea, and I'll share it like off camera. Um, it was such a good idea, but he just wasn't an operator, and you can tell, like based off of like his failed businesses in the past and all these other things. And so, um, yeah, that's interesting. But you love yeah. the idea, yeah. And I was talking to Chris Camillo yesterday about this, and he's like, "Look, if it, if they're not an operator, don't do it, because even if the idea is amazing, it's a billion dollar idea. If they're not, like, if they just, yeah, hmm. so because they're going to bounce afterwards, it doesn't yeah. matter. And you're betting on the person sticking yeah. around." and making it a successful long-term company. One wouldn't expect that at all. You'd think yeah. all it is is like the, the product or service because that's what you do when you're investing in public companies. It's not yeah. like you're usually considering the founder in that. Yeah, so for example, Good Cash, right? Like he by himself, like the idea, you could argue that maybe it sounds like a me too copycat idea because there's a lot of other companies that do something similar. But the fact that he's just very smart in executing and like does the legwork to me matters. So coming on next, we have Eric Way. He is the co-CEO and founder of TriCarrot, the company that's hosting this entire event. We've been friends with him for a super long time. He's the CEO of a business valued in the nine-figure range. Super interesting guy. We're going to talk about how he grew this business and a bunch of other really cool stuff. You excited? I am. Let's bring him on. Eric, welcome to the Iced Thank Coffee you. Hour. This is a long time coming. Mm-hmm. I appreciate it. Grandma Jack, I feel like I'm supposed to know in dollar terms how much you've generated Right? How That's much? usually how you frame it. Yeah. I actually don't know. I'm trying to remember. Let's say 300,000. That's uh, an accurate guess. I mean, that's pretty good. Yeah, I think yeah. it's about what, like 220, 230? No, it's about 240. Maybe 240. Okay. okay. That's a good guess. I mean, that's very yeah. accurate. Yeah, that was the classic, really just throwing a number out there and going yeah. with my gut. So A lot of people go in the millions, but yeah, it's, no. it's, it's about that. I wish. Yeah. Okay. So thank you so much for coming on. I think Absolutely. it's important that we introduce you because you are the founder and owner of the credit card that I use all the That's time. Right. Uh, we got to listen to this. Hold on. The carriage so credit card. You got to go thank like this. You. There we go. Yeah, right in the this is the, uh, the heaviest credit card that I have. And you've created this as a whole business of yes. running credit cards. Could you give us a little bit of your backstory? Uh, for a few minutes and how you came up with this idea and, and how this makes money. St- yeah. I still don't understand how you make money with this. So my background is a mix of a couple of different things. I previously worked at Instagram as a product manager where I helped build Instagram Live, Instagram business and creator accounts, products for creator and content businesses like yourselves. And I had the time of my life because I grew up on YouTube and Twitch and getting to build product and tools for the people I had spent my entire high school and college time watching, it just felt really special. Especially, and this goes into the other part I did of things I did before going to Instagram, I previously worked in finance. I went to Harvard, I studied economics, I worked in investment banking at Blackstone, I worked in management consulting at McKinsey, and I was absolutely 
miserable. It's all things that I felt like I needed to do because it's what everyone else around me was doing, but it never actually was what I wanted to do. And so I went through a period of my life, I'd say my teens to my mid-20s, where I was very depressed, not really liking the direction I was heading, and watching a lot of YouTube to try and distance myself from it. About six years ago, I had that existential realization I had to make changes. That's why I left finance to go build products for creators. And now here at Carrot, the company I co-founded, it brings it all together because we build better financial products for creators. We've worked with so many people. For example, ZHC, who you've actually spoken with and interviewed Mm -hmm. before, one of the biggest YouTubers out there, when he walks into a bank and tries to explain what he does for a living, they don't actually get it. Another individual you might be familiar with, Ludwig, top streamer, who when was doing his subathon last year, trying to gift subs to people, his card kept declining because no bank trusted him enough to give him a high enough limit. The entire financial system underwrites you off a set of really standard metrics like FICO, how much debt you've taken out in the United States and how much you've paid back. It doesn't account for your actual income, your cash flow, or if you're a creator, the size of your business and your social stats. So we're trying to build the financial system for content creator businesses. And as you said, our first product is a metal business card where we base its terms, limits, and rewards off of those social stats. And you asked us, how do we make money? So the real secret for us, we don't charge any fees to the creators who use our cards. We make a little bit of money called interchange, which is the processing fee that stores and merchants pay to accept cards. But the real play is the cross-sell. We believe that we're going to do such a good job with these cards in building our brand, building our trust, and developing our own underwriting model to actually assess where the creators are good businesses that we're going to be able to cross-sell them to other financial products down the line, like bank accounts, tax products, lines of capital, even mortgages. The secret of financial technology products, it's always about the cross-sell. You're probably familiar with the Chase Sapphire Reserve card. The former head of Chase, Jamie Dimon, when asked, how much money did you make on this card? Because it was such a hit. He said, we lost $200 million this year on it. And I wish we had lost $400 million because all of the cost was incurred in year one and all of the benefit is from people who potentially might switch over to other Chase products over five, six, seven years. So our whole thinking at Carrot is we started with a card, which many top creators like yourself use because it's gonna give us the ability to cross-sell what we build next. So I'll pause there, but sort of a really quick high level on some of the things you asked. But you've been doing this credit card now for two years. When is the next product? So three years actually, but the reason why I say two, we spent one year just failing repeatedly over and over. And we tried 15 different products. One of them was actually bookkeeping and taxes for creators. And it's what we're launching next now. The difference is when we tried to do it before, Nobody knew who we were. And as a creator, you think about taxes maybe 1% of the time. Usually you're focused on growing your channel, doing more content, making more money. And the 1% of the time you care about taxes, everybody goes to the people they already know and trust. Every creator goes and finds, hey, you know, my mom's uncle's fraternity brother does taxes for bakeries. Maybe he can help me out. So before in that year one, we spent an entire year trying to go out to creators saying, you haven't heard of me, but I can do this better for you. And everyone either being that 99% of the time when they didn't care or that 1% of the time when they did, they already were like, hey, I know somebody who can do this for me. But the reason why we're launching this now is because 
we actually have that trust. And we have the ability to go now to people and say, you already use our cards. Now we can help manage your accounting, your tax strategy, your payroll. So that's the really big focus, Scram and Jack, that we actually just launched about a month ago. Who's doing that? How do you vet these people to make sure they're good? So there's really two, three things you care about when it comes to your bookkeeping and your taxes. The first one is, is it accurate? AKA, if it's not, you might get audited by the IRS. And there's so many creators we work with who are issues where they owe back taxes and penalties because they didn't have someone helping them do it properly. The second thing is, does it help you save money? For example, if we went and ordered Chipotle and started eating this here on camera, that potentially could be considered a business expense. And there are many financial professionals out there who don't know the sorts of write-offs as creators that you can actually get. The third thing is responsiveness. A lot of times, you're on your own schedules. Both of you are so busy. You need someone who's managing your finances to be available right away. And so many creators, they're so much busier than normal small medium businesses that whoever they work with, they're not able to actually provide that high quality of service. So on those three things, making sure you're not audited, making sure you're getting all the write-offs, and making sure it's responsive, we actually went and hired the accounting creator specialists who were serving our cardholder clients. There were an entire team of people who we were emailing back and forth because we provided cards to their clients. And they'd ask us for statements, they'd ask us what is carrot, what is going on. And one day we went to them and said, hey, do you wanna just come work for us? Because everything you're doing, let's put it under one roof, where not only are you gonna help us provide the best quality financial services to creators, we're also a tech company with engineers. We're gonna take those insights and start to build product around it too. So it's not just a pure services play for us, it's tech enabled. It's using the brand and trust we've developed with cards to hire the best people to now provide financial services and start to build product around automating more and more of those pieces. That's the focus now. And again, what's our vision? It's one day every content creator business in the world comes to us to incorporate, to get set up on cards, accounts, taxes, credit, just everything. And this is just one small step toward getting there. Jack, really quick, you pressed record on these, right? Yes. Okay. I was I was paranoid for a second because I was like, oh crap, was I supposed to do that? Here's did he do it? So so here's something. We're breaking some news right. right here, okay? We just wrapped up recording with Jack Conti, the yeah. the CEO of Patreon. Yeah. What? You didn't click record on those. The cameras weren't recording. We'll get them after this. <laughs> are you kidding? Are you kidding? No, I'm serious. I just wanted to get your live reaction because I think it would be kind of you serious? Yes. No. Yes. It's all right. I, I can't tell if you're messing because I mess with Jack. We're all the going time. to bring Jack back in no. after this. He's still upstairs. We'll make sure. Are you kidding me, Jack? Don't don't mess with me. I'm here. not kidding. No, no. Because remember how I ran in? Because yeah. you were already in here. I just assumed that you already clicked record on him. I saw you messing with this thing. Yeah, I, just, I mean, I turned this on. You don't know how to use that. Are you? You swear, Jack? You have to. Sw I swear. I swear. So swear in your family. Ah, I swear in my family. That's really high stakes. I screwed up. Really? Yeah. What do we do? It's fine. Uh, I'm not bothered by it. We could just try again. It's okay, Graham. No, but that was so good the first time. I know it was really good, but we can get it again. Hey, look what if at we... it now. You have an even deeper friendship, and you know Jack, and I'm sure he's going to want to come down. We have another pitch coming up. After that, oh, we can go grab punch. And right now, we have Eric from TriCarrot, who has, what's the valuation, like $400 million? 
really high and it's actually confidential for reasons that I'll tell you afterwards. But suffice it to say is we've built a product a lot of creators love and we've raised a lot of money. And I'll also say the whole reason why we brought Jack in and for those who are watching and listening who might not have the context, is Jack Conti, the founder and CEO of Patreon, who's a fellow judge with Graham here on the whole Creator Shark Tank show we're putting together. The reason why we brought in Jack and why I'm excited to bring him back down and have him re-record is because that guy is the great example, one of the first tech CEOs who's also a creator because he's also a musician. Jack, I think, is actually one of the first CEOs who's also a creator. Mm-hmm. So I'm just trying to follow in his footsteps. And this is our way of creating by hosting events like this. Let's talk a little bit about this event specifically yeah, totally. because I know with your card, you throw a lot of like different parties and events and then invite yeah. every every creator. And it's one of my favorite things about the Thank card, you. honestly. It's the community that you guys facilitate. The perks of the card are all, obviously, they're great. I love the cash back and everything. Yeah. Uh, and obviously like the fact that it's metal, totally awesome. Appreciate but that. I love the events that you guys throw. And uh, let's talk about this one specifically. We've done one like this in the past where it's like a shark tank kind of, but instead of the sharks, it's just a bunch of really good creators. And then you bring in other people. What's like the purpose behind these events? I'm sure that they're not cheap. So we once got dinner with Max Levchin, the co-founder of PayPal. And he told us the most important thing around financial products and acquisition, it's actually trust. Think about the financial products you use. I know for myself, the bank I'm on is the one my mom set up for me when I was 10 years old. In order to do something different and something new, you have to have a lot of trust in that new company and what you're doing. And we're building something really new, financial products for creators. The trust and awareness and education piece is actually the most important. We're not trying to say, hey, we're better than all of the other products out there. We're trying to say, hey, as a creator, you should care about these things, period, because you're not just a creator and a creative, you're also a business who deserves and needs to be set up on business products. So an event like this one, Creator Shark Tank, it's about helping everybody and yourselves see yourselves as businesses, as entrepreneurs, as CEOs of your own media empires, and as investors who other companies are coming in asking for your expertise to help. I know you've spoken with Minx as well. And Minx joined because when I chatted with her on Discord, I said, hey, I think you'd be fantastic as a judge on our Creator Shark Tank. She said, hey, you know, like, I don't know if this is really my style. And I said, this is a chance to show to the world that you're not just funny, you're smart. And we get, and our mission is carrot to elevate you so the rest of the world sees you the same way we do as business people. So we host things like this because it builds trust and awareness and it aligns with our mission where instead of watching Mark Cuban and Kevin O'Leary, you get to watch people and personalities who've built followings of millions who inspire, entertain, and educate come in in a different context as business people. One thing that I found kind of interesting is how you mentioned a mission of the company. How many employees do you currently have? So we have about 50 employees right now. 50 employees. And we recently had Layla Hormozzi on the podcast and she yeah. was mentioning how you can develop a good culture around a business Yes, because she, you know, she has her, her startup, I guess as well. And she said the most important thing in order to create a culture around a business and to get good hardworking employees is you have to establish a mission and like a yeah. core goal basically that, that the company is trying to achieve. And then beneath that, what did she say there was? It was values. 
I don't remember. I think it was yeah. a mission. You have to yeah. establish a mission and then you have to think about every action and value and make sure that every action and value of the, the employees is serving that mission yes. somehow. How do you how do you establish a culture yeah. within your business? Fantastic and how question. do you find good people to try to emulate that culture? First of all, absolutely love Alex and Layla. Second, the reason why you need a mission, even is looking at super tactical as a startup, why would somebody come work for us when they could just go work for Facebook and get paid multiple times more and probably work less? The only reason they would is they might be really aligned on liking us as people. They might be excited by the prospect of building an early stage company with a chance at upside. Big, big part of it is going to be the mission. It's the why are you even a thing? Why do you even exist? And when you bring Jack, you should ask him about it. We actually share a very similar mission to Jack where he's described it as empowering the second renaissance, right? Many of you are familiar with the first renaissance, which was a blossoming of intellectual and creative energy. And the thing is, there's going to be another because when you've made it easier than ever for people to create content and share with each other, there's going to be a moment where the younger generations, they're all growing up, they want to be creators. Making content like this for them, it's going to be as simple and easy as breathing. And then when everybody feels comfortable sharing, creating content with each other, at a certain point, there's not going to be like a singularity moment where, boom, there's going to be another inflection point in terms of humanity benefiting from everyone sharing and learning amongst themselves. And so in a way, the mission of companies like Patreon and ourselves is to empower the creators and help make that happen. And the way we see it as a creator there's a lot of things you have to do on figuring out how to make content, how to find your community, how to make money from it. We're the ones that want to help you scale it into a business. Anything involving the hard work around managing your flows of money, working with the financial system, working with the government, we want to make that easy so you get to continue focusing on the creative piece. That's not only our mission, it's also why I started Carrot. The best part of what I get to do is spending time with people like both of you, genuinely appreciating and admiring what you've built and just thinking through from my side, is there something I can do to make that better? The impetus behind our various product, like I said, is people like ZHC, people like Ludwig, who were just suffering really low limits set by really arbitrary banks. And that's what informed the decision to go build that out. And everything we're doing after is based on what you think is important. Do you worry, though, that these banks have these yeah. systems in there for a reason. They've, they've been around for a very long time. And by breaking some of those reasons, that maybe you're opening yourself up to some sort of issue. Let's say if, if a creator charges up the card, all of a sudden their ad revenue goes down, yes. a sponsor doesn't come through, and then they're in a position like, oh, crap, I spent 100 grand and I got 20K. Yeah. Don't you worry about that. that that's Huge a higher rate. likelihood of happening here. So the risk and reward come hand in hand. People often ask, oh, I assume in starting this company, you must have figured out a way to minimize defaults. No, we have defaults. Absolutely. It's why there's no free lunch. It's why nobody's built something like this before. You can't go and underwrite a brand new population without incurring the risk and learnings around figuring out, oh, here's somebody who I thought was good and they actually weren't. And the only way to build an underwriting model and build financial products for new population is to say, I'm going to underwrite people who I think might default. Because if you only underwrite the people who you think are good, you're just hard coding your own assumptions. You're not actually learning. So the really long answer to your point, Graham, 
is it's absolutely risky. And big banks don't do it because they already have a proven business model on serving the lowest common denominator of your average American. And what's changing now is financial technology products are becoming easier and easier to build, which means you got to specialize and build it to solve specific problems for specific types of people. You've probably noticed Chime and Step, for example, build to solve problems for young adults and teenagers. Nova Credit is focused on solving the problems of immigrants. There's ones doing that for Uber drivers and freelancers. We're doing that for creators. And yes, in underwriting that new population, you will face more defaults because you're taking on an area that people haven't yet understood. But the hope is, if you can learn fast enough, you now have built a moat that stops anybody else from coming in. In terms of not only the trust you've built from a brand POV, but literally your underwriting models can be better than anybody else's because you've now learned what actually matters and what doesn't. So who defaults? Could you give us like maybe some factors that would play into that, like creators who uh, make riskier content or creators with under uh, X amount of subscribers? Is there so a metric? I frame it as where were the areas or populations that we had to learn the most because we knew the least? And it's creators who have now begun to expand their business models beyond just making money from, say, AdSense or sponsorship revenue. It's folks who have built content businesses where, say, now they're selling products and there's inventory risk, right? Then there's a potential outcome where they didn't necessarily know how well they were going to sell and it didn't end up being as strong as they thought it would. And those were some of the cases where we saw as, hey, we know this is a riskier segment. The upside is also potentially larger too. And we want to go learn and see how we can underwrite. It's probably the same calculus that both of you think about as creators, right? When you've decided, for example, to launch a line of courses, that was a little bit more risk for a little bit more reward. You've actually spoken on your channel about launching your coffee business and the risks and expenses and tribulations you've gone through are frankly probably an order of magnitude more complex and harder than if you stuck to just doing content. But you do it because there's also more potential reward. So I think of it less as who's more likely to fault and more on what are the segments that we realized we had to learn more to comfortably underwrite because their business models were different and growing beyond the traditional, hey, I make content and I get AdSense and I get sponsorship revenue. Okay, so it's the night before posting, but we can't forget about giving a verbal shout out to our patrons. We got to shout out Ben, Ashmore, Rich Smith, Colin L, Enam Khan with Enam from Investing, or Investing with Enam, uh, Rick Barkley, and Kevin Dunkel. Thank you guys so much for being patrons.